Welcome to the Functional Nutrition Podcast. I'm your host, Erin Holt, and I'm a board-certified integrative and functional nutritionist. I live on the seacoast of New Hampshire and work with clients in my virtual practice all over the world through private consultations and online nutrition and functional medicine programs. Functional medicine nutrition is all about diving deep with people to get to the root cause of their health issues. And that's exactly what I tackle in this podcast. All things health, food, and nutrition. Unpacking current research and almost a decade of clinical experience. I love to bring experts and thought leaders to the table so we can all learn together. Please keep in mind this podcast is created for educational purposes only and should never be used as a replacement for medical diagnosis or treatment. Thanks for joining me. Now let's dive in. Hey friends, back with part two to answer all of your cortisol questions. There was a lot of them. I had to do two episodes you didn't listen to episode one or the last episode I recorded, uh, go ahead and listen to that. We talked a lot about cortisol there as well. Today we're going to talk specifically about what to do for high cortisol and what to do for low cortisol. Uh, we had some listener questions come in with specific examples, so we're going to get into that a little bit. This is why um, ordering a Dutch test, I said in the last episode, it's so important to have a skilled clinician or practitioner that's able to help you analyze it versus just ordering a Dutch test off of their website that is available to anybody. You can go right to Precision Analytical, um, I believe it's dutch.com, dutchtest.com maybe, and um, order your own test. And that's great. I think it's, I think it's a phenomenal um phenomenal resource to have, but be sure you're working with somebody that can help help you break it down because you wouldn't believe the amount of questions that I get through Instagram um, or otherwise asking about findings on a Dutch test. Despite the fact that they're working with somebody, they still are really um, have a hard time understanding. And that's why in your hormone revival, I always do a video of me analyzing your test. So I share my screen and we go through the test section by section by section by section. So you have a deep and clear understanding of what this test actually means. That's really, really important, especially because if you're going to retest in the future, you want to know what you're looking at. You know, you want to know if things have improved, if things are moving in the right direction. So it's always good to get a good baseline. So we'll um, we'll do high cortisol, low cortisol. We'll talk about cortisol clearance issues. We'll talk about the cortisol awakening response, cortisol in weight. That was a couple of questions came in about that. Um, how cortisol can be activated and deactivated and what that actually means and how to know if that's happening with you. Right. We talked last last week we talked about free cortisol. And while free cortisol is an important value to have uh, because it's active hormone, it's not revealing the entire picture of exactly what's going on. So it's a piece of information. It's a good piece of information. It's a valid piece of information, but we want to see more information. And that's what the Dutch test provides. We're going to talk a little bit about menopause and the, the shift that happens there, especially with cortisol. And then finally, we'll get into some questions about supplementation. So that's what's in store for you in today's episode. I, I chatted with a, um, a friend of mine who is, I'm so excited, who's joining this round of Your Hormone Revival. And 
I was like, what, what made you do it? Why are you, you know, what made you sign up this time? And she said, in this time of unknown, she wants something to focus on. She has no control over anything that's happening in the world. So while everything is going haywire, at least this is the place where I can write the narrative, she said. I feel like I'm taking steps in the right direction by changing my mindset and taking back some control, which... When she said that, I was like, oh gosh, I feel that so deep in my bones, right? It's a way to say, okay, there's so much going on out there, but I'm in charge of me. Still, at the end of the day, I'm in charge of me. And it reminded me a little bit of um, something that Dr. Tina Moore talks about a lot. She's a naturopath doctor. She's on Instagram and I really enjoy her content a lot. Um, she's she's a straight shooter. She's a bit of a tough cookie. That's probably why I like her so much. I, I really look up to her. I deeply respect her. I don't want to use the word idolize because I think that's, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we should um, put people in an idol role because at the end of the day, we're all humans having a human experience. And I think what can happen is if you idolize somebody, you have the real potential to be let down when you discover that they are in fact human. Um, so I don't want to put that on her, but I do deeply respect her work. And she's often criticized as being too harsh. Um, specifically, she's been talking a lot about COVID and um, sugar in the diet and um, I'm not going to get too far down this this path because this is not what the episode's about. Um, but she's saying some I, <laughs> pun, pun coming up, pun warning. She's saying some inflammatory things that, I mean, she's just reporting her research and it's really upsetting people a lot. Uh, but at the end of the day, what she's saying is, hey, it's now or never. Um, like You got to take care of you. You need to move your body. You need to eat well. You got to take care of yourself. I Obviously, alternative health folks have been saying this for years, and now people have no choice but to believe it. No one's going to save you. You have to save yourself. It's kind of her, her messaging, um, which is scary, you know, and it's not really different than anything that I've been saying. Um, she just says it in a, a more direct way than I do. I think I'm a direct person. <laughs> She she really uh, knocks it out of the park with that one. So anyway, right, we all have to assess how can I take control over myself in this situation where I feel like I have no control. At the end of the day, we don't have control over anything. Control is an illusion. I hate to burst that bubble, but it's true. Um, but we do have way more power in any given situation that we give ourselves credit for. And I know that COVID is scary and we're going to start doing the back to school thing and anxiety is is really, really extra high for a lot of teachers and parents and kiddos. And um, we do have to remind ourselves that we're not sitting ducks and we have control, uh, but it, it it's going to require us to put in some work and maybe make some changes and do some things differently than we've done before. So with all of that said, let's talk about cortisol, yeah? Um, and just a reminder, your hormone revival starts September 7th. 
get on the email list, erinholthealth.com forward slash hormones. I will email you as soon as enrollment opens mid-August. You will get a discount code for early bird res- re- re- reservation, registration. I don't know. Reserve your spot. I, whatever. I want, I really want to work with you. I'm so excited. I'm, I'm, I love this program. I'm, I am happy to be offering this at this time. Let me just say it that way. I don't want to say I'm like extra excited for this one because I feel like that discounts the last two rounds that I did, which were so special to me, but I am very um, honored to have this offering at this time. Let's leave it at that. Okay, moving on. Carrie B1111 said, took the Dutch plus. And remember, I, I reminded you on this, uh, about this last last time, but um, these all of these questions are coming in through Instagram, like those little Instagram polls where you only have a limited amount of space to ask questions. So everybody's, um, they're, the, the questions are a little short, but I'll try to, I'll try to uh, fill in with more information. Took Dutch Plus. So the Dutch Plus is um, the test that we've been talking about, the dried urine test. It also has the saliva. So it has the cortisol awakening response. That's the one that's 100 extra dollars. That's the one that you're going to get as a bonus if you join this round of YHR. Um, Because I just, it's a little treat for me to you. It's money out of my pocket. So you can get more information for yourself about your hormones and about your stress because <laughs> you might be kind of stressed out right now. I don't know. All right. She says she makes enough cortisol, but she has elevated clearance and she can't wake up. How to improve? And then she submitted another question saying what to do about elevated cortisol clearance. So what that means, if you're unfamiliar with the Dutch test, remember I said that there is, uh, we're looking with the Dutch, we're looking at free cortisol and we're looking at cortisol metabolites, metabolized cortisol. So if, you, if you've ever done a Dutch test, the free cortisol is the dial on the left, the metabolized is the dial on the right. So her free cortisol is good, her metabolized cortisol is high. So she's clearing, she has elevated clearance, she's clearing more cortisol. Ideally, when you're looking at that test, you want the two dials to be pointing in the same direction. You want them to be matched. When those dials are aligned, it will confirm true high cortisol or true low cortisol. Because if free and metabolized are both high, you have high cortisol. If free and metabolized are both low, you have low cortisol. If they're pointing in opposite directions, we need to do a little bit of a deeper dive um, because something's off. There's some underlying reason that these two um, that these two are mismatched. If they're not aligned, there it it implies abnormal cortisol clearance, which is what Carrie's asking about. She has elevated clearance. What gives? Um, so let's first talk about some reasons for high metabolized cortisol and high cortisol clearance. One is having high body fat, uh, high visceral fat. So it's usually the fat around the midsection that. Um, I'll, I'll talk about why that is. Uh, there's a connection there between that fat, that type of fat and um, cortisol. Another reason is hype, hyperthyroid, so hyper, like an overactive thyroid, not hypo, underactive. With hyperthyroid, everything speeds up because your, your thyroid is like the thermostat for your body. 
So it, if, if it's overactive, it's speeding everything up. Everything's increasing. Everything's speeding up. So that's going to include uh, cortisol metabolism and clearance. If the thyroid is overactive, cortisol is just kind of like scoot away from you. Um, this can also happen if someone is on too high of a dose of thyroid meds. So beware of that. If you ever see that and you, you do take thyroid medication, that could be one of the reasons that your, your uh, meds just might need to be dialed in. So you'd want to work with the prescribing physician around that. Another, I would say, more common reason is high insulin. Um, another one is long-term glucocorticoid use. So if you're on glucocorticoid, it's a type of steroids. If you, you take those long-term, that can do it. And then uh, long-term high cortisol or long-term stress can also do it. Your body kind of just gets uh, efficient at clearing it out of the system. Um, so what I would say, I tend to see this pattern often with visceral fat, higher visceral fat, and higher insulin levels. I'm always checking insulin levels in your hormone revival. Uh, we look at blood sugars. We look at insulin. I think it's very hard to analyze a Dutch test without having information about blood sugar because there's a lot of clues. If, if, you, if you know how to read a Dutch test, there's a lot of clues that come up and like a lot of question marks that arise. And if you're just less left with a bunch of questions, what good is that? That's why we look at thyroid and why we look at um, this. So we would be able to, to tell, given between the two labs, what really is going on. Um, the hyper thyroid stuff, I honestly don't see a tremendous amount of that. I would say that high visceral fat, high insulin is far more common than hyperthyroid, um, but, but that could certainly do it as well. So there is this link between adipose tissue and cortisol. So adipose tissue being fat tissue. Adipose tissue is its own endocrine gland. It's pretty fascinating. It can make hormones. It can make inflammatory cytokines. It really just kind of does its own thing. So that visceral fat can actually manufacture its own cortisol. It has this enzyme called 11-beta-HSD, which converts cortisone, which is an inactive form of cortisol. It converts it into active cortisol, so it can reactivate it. Um, and adiposity can directly impact cortisol clearance. It will drive up metabolized cortisol. Now, I want to, before I, I reference this, I do not use BMI in my practice. It's not something that I'm teaching my practitioners about in my mentorship. It's not something that I that I use. I think I, I there's a lot of reasons for it. It warrants its own podcast, so I, I will do it. So before I mention this, I want to say that I'm not leaning on BMI as the be-all, end-all. I, I actually don't use that at all. Um, but there was a um, – there was a – um, they looked at over 5,000 women and there was a clear link as BMI increased, cortisol metabolized, uh, metabolites also increased. So we know that at a higher body fat, we will, um, will, will metabolize more cortisol. And again, it's usually that abdomen, that, that, that fat around the abdomen, um, Hey.o.pope, I'm going to pepper her question in here. 
She asked, does increased cortisol cause you to gain weight in a certain area of the body, right? So this is exactly what I'm talking about. It's that, that uh, um, the, the fat around the midsection that can generate its own cortisol. And it does become a sort of a, a cat chasing its tail scenario where, is that right? I'm always throwing out these weird sayings. I'm like, I actually don't know what that means, but hopefully I'm using it in the right way. Um, but cortisol can also cause the body to retain more fat around the abdomen. And then that fat around the abdomen will manufacture its own cortisol. So it is a little bit of this um, cat chasing its own tail, if that makes sense. All right. I also want to talk about this in regards to menopause because I see this pattern very frequently in menopause. Number one, we become less insulin sensitive as we move through menopause. So insulin levels can go up, and that's one of the reasons, right, that we might see high metabolized cortisol. So Carrie, I don't know Carrie's age, and I don't know her, um, what's going on in regards to her other hormones. All I know is about her cortisol, right? So this is something to consider. The other thing that happens in menopause is that visceral fat goes up. This is why every woman in in menopause is like, I'm getting this, this belly fat that I've never had. I hear that a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. There is a reason for it because remember that that visceral fat is its own endocrine gland. And one of the things that it wants to do is sequester as much estrogen as it can. So there's a lot of aromatase activity in this in, in this fat tissue. It wants to hold on to estrogen because what happens when we hit menopause and that the ovaries go off, it stops producing estrogen. Our um, adrenal glands can pump out a little bit of that hormone, but but for the most part, we're not producing much after menopause. So, but we need some estrogen. We need it. We want it. There's a, it has a lot of benefits. So our bodies want to hold onto it. It, this is how one of the ways that it compensates, one of the ways that it tries to sequester and manufacture its own estrogen is by hanging onto visceral fat. As soon as the ovaries go off, the body says, okay, we need another source of estrogen. And so it is a compensation mechanism. Your body, it's like one of those things where your body's like trying to support you, trying to get your back. It's its annoying, you know, like nobody's stoked about it, but that's what's going on. So keep that in mind. Um, one more, I'm going to come back to Carrie's question because it's a long, you know, it's a, there's a lot going on here, but holistic skin underscore and underscore tonics asked, Going through menopause and grief has hit me hard. How can I keep the cortisol at bay? While we're talking about menopause, I wanted to throw this question in here. So in terms of the grief, I don't know. Okay, here's here's what I'm going to say. I don't want to talk too much about this because it's not something I have Yes, yet experience. So I'm not really the person to talk to. I don't have that lived or talk about this. I'm not, I haven't, I don't have, don't have that lived experience yet. Um, so I think anything I will say will fall flat. But I would imagine that there is a real grieving process that comes with menopause, almost like a grieving the loss of youth. And I don't mean that in like some, 
weird way. Hopefully this is landing in a way that, that it, I'm not trying to say like, I don't know. I feel like I'm butchering this. There is, uh, there's a module in Your Hormone Revival where my friend Marla talks about different archetypes. And one of the archetypes she talks about is the crone archetype, the, the hag, right? The cranky, disagreeable, older woman. And that's how in our society we view women as they age rather than seeing her as the wise woman. We don't look up to elders for their wisdom, for their lived experience. Instead, we sort of cast them aside. Um, and it was the pa- over the past couple of years that I started getting really sensitive to this. And I know maybe it's because I'm 36, you know, so I'm not 25 anymore. <laughs> like there's, there was a real moment where, and I, it happened like about a year ago where I looked in the mirror and I'm like, huh, okay, all right, this is happening. This is happening. You know, I am not in my 20s anymore. Okay. All right. Um, and thank God because the 20s weren't easy for me. It's like you're going through this process of figuring out who you are, like where you land in the world. Like I, it's 20s. I loved my 20s. They were fun. And also it, I, it was like a real trying to identify myself. Whereas I feel like in my mid 30s, I've landed more like this is who I am I can't wait for the 40s because like what you know what is even gonna happen then I feel like this comes some good shit I'm gonna really settle into myself a little bit more (laughs) in the next decade um but anyway I I would I started to get really hypersensitive when I would hear people uh comment on women in Hollywood on the work that they had done it's very this is a very specific thing but this is what made me say huh huh um I, it's like we talk poorly about women who get their faces done, you know, get work um, done. And yet we also talk poorly on women who don't get work done and, and, and like comment on how they're aging. It's like damned if you do, damned if you don't. Women in Hollywood specifically, um, if they don't get work done, they don't get work, right? Like they, they don't, if they, if they don't look a certain way, they're no longer women in Hollywood. They're, they're cast aside. And yet, if they're like trying to cling on to their youth, we we also have things to say about that. It's just, it's a real tricky situation to age in Hollywood. And I, I wonder if some of that is true for real life as well, you know? Um, so anyway, that's what I have to say about that is I can imagine that there is this real grieving process, this real loss of something as you move through menopause. I would also imagine that there's some um, big time freedom and and liberation on the other side of it as well. Uh, but let me talk about it on a biomechanical level or biochemical, excuse me, biochemical level, since that's what I know about. What happens is that DHEA naturally falls with age. So DHEA is another adrenal hormone. And I've talked about this before, but as a reminder, as cortisol rises, DHEA rises with it during a stress response. That is a very good, normal, natural stress response because as cortisol is catabolic, it breaks things down, DHEA is anabolic. It builds things up. So it really bolsters the effects of high cortisol, which is good because if high cortisol is cruising through the body, if it, if it goes unchecked, then um, 
that's not a good thing. That's not a good thing at all. So DHEA is one of the, is a hormone that, that swoops in. It has a lot to do with our resiliency to stress. And, um, if DHEA is falling with age as it does just sort of normally and naturally and cortisol remains high, then the effects of, of high cortisol become more detrimental as we age. So it is super important as we cruise through perimenopause and into menopause and that whole thing, it's really important to work on uh, cortisol to work on your stress response. Number one, it can mitigate some of the symptoms of going through menopause, which are not awesome for a lot of women. Um, but but number two, it can also protect, like pl- uh, play a protective role for the body. So be sure to pay attention to what I'm going to talk about. How can we support this? If there's high metabolized cortisol, back to Carrie, who has higher metabolized cortisol, how do we support this? And this, again, this is why we want to test both free cortisol and metabolized cortisol. Because if she just saw, if you know, if we were looking at free cortisol and we saw low free cortisol or normal free cortisol, we would be treating this differently than if having the information of, of high metabolized cortisol. So we want to support the HPA access without stimulating more cortisol production. So some general adrenal support. Um, there are certain nutrients that are that are very supportive of the adrenal of the adrenals like B vitamins, vitamin C, magnesium, zinc, um, omega-3 sometimes, and making sure you're getting a diet that is rich with these foods. Of course, regulating blood sugar as well. I lay out uh, an eating plan for you and your hormone revival. But you, the, the big things you want to make sure you're eating nutrient-dense food, uh, nutrient-dense food um, balancing your blood sugar. You might also want to supplement with some of these nutrients as well. And then doing adrenal supportive lifestyle practices, downregulating the nervous system. This is going to look different for everybody, but doing things like yoga, meditation, leisure walks, getting nature exposure, um, I don't know, setting boundaries, learning how to say no, um, being okay with people being upset with that, just speaking from experience here. (laughs) Um, And then you also want to, so that's kind of like the backdrop of what you're doing. And then you also, on top of that, want to identify and address root causes. So if there is blood sugar regulation, if there is high insulin, what are you going to do to get that in check? You want to test the thyroid. That's usually a good bet um, just to at the very least rule it out. Uh, But if you find some thyroid dysfunction, consider treating the thyroid in conjunction alongside with the HPA access. Um, If you are going through menopause, you might consider some estrogen support Um, hormone replacement therapy, bioidenticals. What I would say here, my my stance on hormones is self-regulate instead of replace. So try to self-regulate. Some women are really great candidates for HRT, for hormone replacement therapy. So I'm not saying that's a that's a bad thing or don't do it. What I am saying is that you do want to address the root causes and you do want to address um, the HPA access and you do want to, to work on that 
first before just jumping headfirst into replacing hormones, right? Try to self-regulate. Um, that's really the goal of your hormone revival. It's that self-regulation piece. And then some people net out where they might just do better after doing like the base work, after doing the foundations, after getting everything in line from that that aspect, then they might do better with with hormones. But you want to wait till the, you know, like the kind of leave that, in my opinion, leave that to the last resort because there's some some issues that can arise with using hormone replacement therapy. Okay, other things that I would consider with this particular situation, um, her elevated metabolized cortisol is telling us that she can make cortisol. So she doesn't have a cortisol production problem because metabolized cortisol represents um, total cortisol production. Since Carrie is dealing with tiredness, uh, because we know that she's not underproducing cortisol, right? So that's not what's causing her fatigue, okay? I would look to the cortisone cortisol gauge. Does the gauge favor cortisone? Um, what she, what Carrie might be dealing with here is not so much a cortisol production problem, right? But a deactivation problem where she needs to get cortisol or excuse me, cortisone to reactivate to cortisol to improve energy. Now, if you've never done a Dutch test, you're probably like, what is she talking about? So let me get into some more details. Um, this parlays into another question. Sutton It Down asks, what does it mean if you have high cortisone? So this is a question she's asking specifically about this. So I'll back up a step and, and, and say that we know high cortisol is a problem, right? We've we talked about that. Um, so the body has another system in place to deactivate it. Cortisone is a backup way to shut down the cortisol pathway, to inactivate it. And it really can be a protect, uh, protection mechanism against the detrimental effects of high cortisol. So we can take, in summary, we can take cortisol, active cortisol, and deactivate it into cortisone. So, and there's a gauge on the Dutch test that shows you whether or not you're doing this. Do you have more cortisol? Do you favor more cortisol pathway or do you favor the cortisone pathway? And if you do favor the cortisone, if you have more cortisone or you have high cortisone on your gauge, you want to ask, why am I deactivating? So why would someone deactivate? Number one, you, it can happen during acute illness because the body's trying to get you to heal and to recover. Number two, it can happen during long-term stress. There's a lot, if there's a lot of cortisol coming at the body, the body's going to deactivate it in order to protect itself. So there's no like real trick here. There's some supplements that can be, that can be helpful, but ultimately what you need to do, it's not so much a, a supplement game. What you need to do is figure out why the body is trying to protect itself. You need to address that to get to the root, okay? It's, is your body slowing you down for a reason? What's that reason? Are you not giving yourself ample rest? Are you going, 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 going until you crash, right? This is your body trying to communicate to you. Slow down. This is why cortisone, this is 
one of the reasons, I would say the main reason why cortisone is would be high on your gauge. Okay. Um, and then with Carrie, again, because she's saying she can't wake up in her original question, she says she can't wake up. I would also wonder about her cortisol awakening response. And because she's done the Dutch plus, that's information that she should have. So this is information that you, if you join this round of your hormone revival, you will also get this information. The cortisol awakening response is a way that your body gets you into an alert state in the morning. Um, so I talked about this on, uh, on the last episode, but there's this cortisol spike that happens and it's a good thing. We want this to happen in the morning. This is your cortisol awakening response. It's like getting you from unconscious to up and at them. So we have this big surge of cortisol that you're, it's like get up and go hormone, right? Let's get up and do the things. Um, so if this isn't happening, then something's off. And some signs that you have a low cortisol awakening response is if you're a slow starter in the morning, if you need coffee to get going, um, if it takes a few hours to get going, but then your fatigue wears off throughout the day, if you feel depressed or blue or melancholy in the morning, but then that wears off throughout the day as you get going, same deal with pain. If you wake up in pain or your pain, your inflammation, like the Feelings of inflammation in the body are worse in the morning, but then they get better throughout the day. If you're stiff in the morning, um, if, if it just like takes you an hour to, to start to really move around effectively, those are all signs that your cortisol awakening response is off. So testing the cortisol awakening response is important because it can tell us if your HPA axis is overactive, if it's underactive, if you're responding in a way that you're supposed to. It's like a little mini stress test. And why this is important is because the cortisol awakening response influences your energy levels, your stress resiliency, whether or not you feel stressed in the morning. If you wake up and you're like, ah, <laughs> like right out of the gate, you're like a Kathy comic. Um, that could be an overactive cortisol awakening response. It will impact your alertness, your mood, anxiety, depression, worry, melancholy. It's also really important for autoimmune stuff, whether you develop autoimmune disease, um, you know, because you, if you have the genes cruising through, whether or not those genes are expressed or the pro progression of autoimmunity, um, it's really, really important for certain cells in the immune system um, and how they how they interact um, or how they're how the, how your body is responding to, to them. Um, so if CAR, if cortisol awakening response is low, it can worsen your autoimmune symptoms or even cause it to develop. And I I, I always think about new moms here who are not sleeping right. Um, and maybe because this is my lived experience, that's when my autoimmune stuff popped off was postpartum. Um, but if you're not sleeping, your sleep schedule's all messed up, then you're, or you're like sleeping at weird hours of the day, then your cortisol awakening response is probably not top notch either. And um, I mean, there's, there's different immune shifts that happen postpartum anyway, but I wonder if this factors into why um, autoimmunity is so prevalent in the postpartum years. Um, 
Okay, other things that cortisol awakening response affects is infection regulation, memory and recall, and even some cancer outcomes. So specifically with breast cancer and prostate cancer. So ultimately, it's a really big deal. It is what my, um, one of my professors would, my microbiology professor would call a BFD, a BF deal, big freaking deal. Um, so that's why I like, I th- that's why I'm actually adding this to your hormone revival. Cause I think it's a, it's a, it's a test that will give us some, some good information. Um, especially for folks that are coming to the, the hormone program with some like mystery symptoms and like, maybe it's autoimmune. We're not really sure if we can dial in this, this car, this cortisol awakening response that is supportive of the immune system, um, from an autoimmune perspective. So the way to do that is you have to take the test uh, first thing in the morning. You spit in tubes. It's great. Okay, so Carrie, lots of stuff for you to think about and to chew on. Let's shift over to low cortisol. So Nicole Vark asked, mine is super low, referring to cortisol. My cortisol is super low. I'm on rhodiola, I'm doing yoga, and I'm resting lots. Anything else? I am, so those are all great things for cortisol. Rhodiola is a, a really nice herb. Um, of course, yoga is going to be great for high cortisol, low cortisol, any dysregulated cortisol. Um, and rest is uber important for low cortisol. I will also sprinkle into the mix patience because this takes time. Um, when you catch a true low cortisol picture, that is, that's a depleted state. And you didn't get depleted overnight. It took time to get there. So it's going to take time to repair and to get out of it. You totally can. It's just going to take some time. So that is the one thing that I give, you know, like the a quote unquote adrenal fatigue picture. You know, don't toss adrenal fatigue around if, if you want a doctor to take you seriously or like anybody else for that matter. But I use it, the term, because it it gets the point across, you know. We know that the adrenal glands aren't fatigued; they're not tired; they haven't pooped out, uh, but you have—you <laughs> should certainly have. Um, so, low cortisol—that's what I like to tell everybody. It's gonna take some time, so be patient. Remember that feedback loop that I talked about uh, in the last episode with hormone production. You can have high amounts of cortisol cranking out for a really long time. And then that's going to feed back to the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland. So CRH, ACTH, both of those decreases and then cortisol ultimately decreases. So what you might be seeing on a lab as low cortisol might have actually been a high cortisol picture for a while. So really think about that continuum. Where where are you on that continuum? You might have been under massive stress for a long time. So again, you know, you didn't get here overnight, so you're probably not going to feel better overnight either. In your hormone revival, that's that's a question that I get, like how long before I start to feel better? If we get somebody started on a good adrenal repair program and a good cortisol after I see their, or excuse me, a good protocol after I see their labs, how long does it take? And I tell people very honestly, very realistically, because I want to manage expectations. It takes like a solid three to six months minimum. Like give yourself three to six months before you start to see, uh, before you start to say this isn't working. Um, 
some people respond really quickly and that's always very exciting to see. I'll also see what hap uh, a very common trend is people start to feel better super quick or the, the ones that feel better soon jump back into the things that got them in their the low cortisol picture. Like they like jump back to their life and then they kind of get re-leveled again. So then it's like, okay, back to the jarring board. Um, I, I totally get that because that's kind of my, my makeup too. So I'm not knocking anybody who does that, that I get it. Um, but yeah, it, it's gonna take some time. So we also want to think about reasons for low cortisol because of course the underlying reason always needs to be addressed. Now there are some medications that can suppress cortisol production, things like prednisone, uh, steroids, opioids, uh, Accutane. These are all things that, that can ha influence cortisol production and potentially suppress cortisol production. Um, Artificial lights can do the same thing, or not artificial, what are, fluorescent lights, that's what I'm thinking of. Fluorescent lights can suppress cortisol, so if you're under fluorescent lights all day, these are some things to, to really think about. Of course, long-term stress and burnout, poor sleep, um, long-term inflammation, pain, and infection. So last, last episode, we talked about how acute inflammation, acute pain, acute infection can drive up cortisol but if these things are go are, are are left unchecked then eventually that can deplete the cortisol picture so i'm thinking you know a good a good example of this is a chronic gi infection so when you have the if you let's say you get um what's one that i see commonly on labs um i'm drawing a complete blank let's say you have h pylori and you just got H. pylori and now like things are inflamed in the gut and it's new infection. So that could drive up cortisol. But if H. pylori goes left untreated and um, is just like cranking around in the gut and it's like, you know, we're, we're dealing with a, a fungal overgrowth as well and things just like the balance gets shifted in the, the, the microbiome, the gut microbiome, then that can lead to a low cortisol picture over time. Um, other things to consider are head traumas like traumatic brain injuries and concussions and things of that nature can deplete cortisol over time. So what do you do for, for low cortisol? So, um, the thing is like everybody wants to go right to the adrenals, right? Rhodiola for the adrenals, herbs for the adrenals. And that's not a bad idea, but you also need to start with the brain. Uh, you have to retrain the HPA axis. Sleep is huge, 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 huge. You're not going to see much in improvement with cortisol if you're not getting sleep. And I will say those folks with a depleted cortisol picture, a very common pattern I see, this is more anecdotal. I don't really have any like, um, like studies to back this up, but it's like, once I say, I, once I give somebody permission to rest because you know, we need that for some reason. We need somebody to tell us it's okay to take a break, myself included. Um, once I say that based on, and they're seeing the evidence on labs to like really reinforce that, they start making sleep a priority. And then they realize that they're so tired. So a big thing I get is like, I'm taking naps, I'm sleeping more. Is this okay? Is something wrong? And once we give ourselves permission to unwind, there's this period of like really needing like deep, 
deep restorative rest and sleep and a lot of it. And if you can give yourself that, I know that say, even saying that is, is, you know, there is, is a privilege to be able to have the time and the space for it. But if you can give yourself that, that is how you're going to repair yourself. Um, and I think a lot of us have reasons why we can't do that. And I would always beg you to really look at that. And are those reasons actually true? Are those reasons valid? Or is it just something you're telling yourself? Maybe you're in a caretaker role and you've, you know, you, that's, that's your set, your set point is I got to take care of everybody else. So I get, you know, I fall by the wayside, right? Um, so sleep, 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 retraining, um, doing a strict circadian rhythm plan. This is all outlined in your hormone revival, but really working on sleep hygiene, getting sun, getting full spectrum light in the morning, um, doing some light therapy. Um, all of these are, are really important. There's a lot of stuff to tuck into with low cortisol, um, but these are all things that I would, would also add into. We're gonna, I'm running out of time here, so I don't want to get too, too far down the rabbit hole of, of the low cortisol picture, but those are all really important things. Um, improve, anything that's going to improve blood flow and oxygenation to the brain um, is going to be helpful for this as well. So yoga, perfect. You know, Nicole's doing yoga. Awesome. Exercise to tolerance, usually with low cortisol picture, it can be challenging to get much movement in, but even leisurely walking is phenomenal. Um, if you have an inversion practice in your yoga, that's great. Um, getting any type of, you know, acupuncture or massage, chiropractic care, all of that can be helpful, um, especially with the upper back, the neck and the shoulders that can be helpful for circulation and, um, you know, blood flow to the brain. We need, um, we need a healthy brain in order to have healthy hormones and balanced hormones. Um, of course, regulating blood sugar. I'm going to have to talk about that. That's very, very important for the brain, for brain health. So it's going to be important for hormone health as well. Um, and then remember that w th this is not a supplement game. Supplements can be very, 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 very helpful and they can support the system and they can give more energy. But while you're taking supplements, you're also working on the underlying causes, what got you here in the first place. So herbs, rhodiola, Nicole mentioned that. That's a great one. Um, more of the stimulatory herbs tend to be good for low cortisol. So um, ginsengs, ashwagandha can be helpful. Um, I like glandulars. I will use those quite a bit clinically. Um, of course, making sure that they're, they're you're getting from like a, a, a reputable company, a reputable brand. Those are not appropriate for vegans because they, they're glands of like actual animals, whether they're porcine or bov bovine. Um, but I do think that they can be helpful. I don't use those long-term. And in fact, I had a question from Maui, Maui M girl. Is it necessary to change up your adrenal support supplements every couple months? And with, with glandulars, I would say, yeah, you don't, that's not something that you want to stay on long-term. Um, so it, it, um, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Um, but also keep in mind how herbs work 
They're different than pharmaceutical medications. It's not a quick fix. It's not an instantaneous thing. You want to give them time, especially if you're using herbs for your cycle. You want to give them several cycles to kick in, um, several months before some people see a very quick turnaround and some people it takes some time. So again, I'm going to underscore that patience piece. Um, not a quick fix. Herbs work differently than pharmaceutical meds. Um, so there are certain, there are certain herbs that I like to pulse and I like to take a break and then reintroduce. Um, but you know, for more of the adaptogenic herbs, I think it's fine to take those. Um, I don't think you have to change them up every few months. Um, all right, where were we? The other thing is to consider with low cortisol is mitochondrial support because cortisol is made in the mitochondria of um, something called the zona fasciculata of the adrenal glands. And if your mitochondria are suffering, then it's going to be really hard to produce appropriate hormones, including cortisol. So there are certain things that can negatively impact the health of our mitochondria, antibiotic use, inflammation, reactive oxygen species, any type of toxin. So environmental toxins, smoke, exhaust, plastics, personal care products. Um, this is why I have been working for Beauty Counter for almost five years is because we put a lot of toxins onto our body by choice. I mean, I shouldn't say by choice. Like we're, we're choosing these products, like in maybe inadvertently putting toxins on our body. These have a major, 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 major impact on your mitochondria, on your hormones. Like this is no joke. A lot of these, these, um, Chemicals are endocrine disruptors. They scramble up your hormones. So making sure you're using clean personal care products, whether you're purchasing Beauty Counter through me or you're using a different brand, that doesn't matter. Just make sure you're getting clean stuff. Um, some nutrients specific to this to the health of mitochondria, CoQ10, N-acetylcysteine, B vitamins, alpha lipoic acid, omega-3s. Uh, PQQ, L-carnitine, magnesium, all of those phenomenal for mitochondrial support. Um, Diane Joy Photo asked, is there a way back from depleted adrenal glands? Is there a recovery? And I will say this, absolutely. I say that with confidence because I see it over and over again, myself included. Um, but there's something that's super important to understand. You cannot get well or recover or find your way back by doing the exact same things that landed you in a depleted state. You can't balance hormones doing the same things that led to unbalanced hormones. Okay? And I know like I'm I'm you're hearing me say it and it makes sense logically, you're like, yeah, duh, no duh. But this is what we do. Um, the whole, I mean, I'm, I've, I'm sure you've heard me talk about it. It's like the, 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 the analogy that everybody in functional medicine likes to use because it gets the point across. If you step on a tack and your, your heel hurts because there's a tack in your heel, you can take Tylenol, you can rub some cream on it. There's, you can do a lot of things that's going to make you feel better. It's going to reduce the pain. But your problem's not really going to go away until you remove the tack from your heel, right? You're going to still continue to have problems. And that's what we need to do is remove the tack from the heel so the heel can truly recover. 
So you have to think about what got you into a depleted state in the first place. If it's chronic dieting, if it's under eating, if it's over exercise, over caffeination, under sleeping, constantly being the caretaker and putting yourself last, perfectionism, overachieving. I'm not pointing any fingers here because I am guilty of many of these. Um, so really, really think about that. It's possible, but the work needs to be done. Um, and that brings me to another question and the final question I'll answer today. Mrs. LC Money. I'm probably saying that wrong. I don't know. Maybe not. Mrs. Elsie Money. Um, how much does cortisol affect weight gain or inability to lose weight healthily? If cortisol levels are elevated, say from someone fixating on weight loss or exercise, can this be counterproductive or cause a person to hold on to weight protectively despite their efforts? So I'm going to kind of reiterate what I just said in a different way. If cortisol levels are elevated due to dieting and exercise, then the dieting and exercise is the piece that needs to be addressed to balance cortisol. Okay? So yes, if someone is still efforting to lose weight, to use her words, right? F putting in effort to lose weight and those weight loss efforts are the thing that is driving up cortisol, then yeah, yeah, the weight loss efforts can can cause you to hold on to cortisol. Like that, that's the thing that, ne- that's the tack that needs to be removed. So I, I talk a lot about this concept um, in terms of like protectively holding on to weight. I talk a lot about that in episode 65, all like, I think it's entitled Everything You Want to Know About Weight Loss. And then I had, um, I had, Lucia Holly on the show and I'm just trying to think of the it, it was a more recent show I just can't think of the number off the top of my head and she she talked about weight loss on that as well so I would check out those two episodes definitely episode 65 because I really answer this question pretty in depth um so hopefully that's helpful and that's it we have officially answered all of the cortisol questions that came in so hopefully that shed some light on cortisol picture for you guys and I will catch you soon Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Functional Nutrition Podcast. If you'd like to submit a question to the show, fill out the contact form at erinholthealth.com. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. Take care of you.